What's good, everybody? This is Strength Like the Toronto's podcast, episode number one, and I'm your host, David Urima. Today, we're sitting down with Richmond Lowe, one of the head coaches at Academy Alliance in downtown Toronto, and we're going to be going over on how to be a better coach with the principles of communication with your clients, coaching an individual versus a class, dealing with youth versus adults, respect in the weight room, and understanding healthy levels of motivation. So, thanks for tuning in, and if you like this podcast, hit that subscribe button. Being our first uh, podcast, I just want Rich to introduce himself a little bit before we get into it. I'll give you a background story of myself quickly, and then we'll hop into today's topic of how to be a better coach in the gym environment or outside of the gym environment. Oh, we're going there, okay. Uh, so my name is Richmond. Uh, I'm a head coach at the Academy Alliance. I've been coaching for about eight years here. It's been a while. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> where has it gone gone uh i started off here interning and then just kind of working my way up through uh spending my time here uh to becoming a head coach i've done a little bit of everything so from programming to personal training to group classes to uh running some uh, youth programs here as well as some specialty programs uh, basically right now I'm doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff, working on a lot of initiatives as well as, uh, working with our staff as well. Okay. So you're pretty much the all rounder. You've been there, done that when it comes to the gym. I'm the MacGyver of the gym right now. Oh man. The stuff that we get into, uh, before, <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to explain myself real quick, uh, as the founder and CEO of strength collective Toronto. I deal with the marketing and I deal with the programming. Essentially, I'm the one-man show for the time being on Strength Collective. Um, when it comes to Academy of Lions, I am a senior coach at the gym. I've been here for about four years. I forced my way into the gym against the will of the owners. It's not that aggressive. I threatened them. <laughs> that, no, you got you got to tone it back down here. Like we did invite you into our space. <laughs> I like we didn't to th- just I li- kick down the door. I, li- I like to think it's the, the other way around. Um, <laughs> but other than like being a coach at the academy in four years, like we'll get into like these background stories later on. Essentially, I like to call this the R and D thing between Rich and I because Rich and I like to create and test different training implements. We have these crazy ideas. We've renovated entire, almost entirely the gym just between him and I. Um, and we will be eventually getting into making like bootleg modifications for training implements, which is, you know, one of our passions. Like we like to watch garage gym reviews. Uh, we like to watch people like construct leg presses out of like two by fours from like Home Depot. Um, and that'll be later down the road. Well, what are some of the things that we've actually gotten up to when it comes to the gym? Uh, well, we are now, we can say that we're professional flooring, gym flooring people because we've <laughs> redone the flooring like three different times. Uh, we, we can tell you the fastest way to cut stall mats. And if you've ever worked with stall mats before, especially if you're a gym owner or across the gym owner, you know how tough those things are to work with. And we've gone basically down to a science. So that tells you how much 
<laughs> we've done with stall mats. Yeah, Essen- uh, essentially to put this in brief on the floor is that if you've been a longtime member of the academy, if you've been through the gym, originally the floor is just a concrete base that's cracked and slanted. Um, it was one layer of stall mats, three quarter inch thick rubber, and then it was just plywood on plywood glued and nailed together platforms with some rubber on them that people would lift on. So well, before your time, it was built out of two by fours. And okay. we have only recently used up all the remaining two by fours from breaking that down. Yeah. So the gym's pretty good at reusing materials. Um, so what ended up happening was the floor was falling apart. Things were falling apart. We were getting noise complaints. And so Richmond and I proposed, I'm really pretty sure we proposed creating an acoustic membrane on the floor because we were getting noise complaints. So Rich and I ended up designing how to put an entire like two and a half or two inch thick acoustic membrane on the concrete after we had someone refinish the concrete. We plotted out the entire gym. We doubled up on the stall mats on top of the acoustic platforms and we built lifting platform runners. So the entire floor is an acoustic barrier with lifting platforms built out across the floor. We lost many brain cells trying to put the entire <laughs> thing together and put probably a few years off our life. A few mental breakdowns afterwards. And now we have a new floor that we had to redo again the following summer. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, a but, little bit of PTSD there. Yeah, we built quite a few things on the gym and ended up renovating over and over. Uh, so if you ever do have any questions about like outfitting your own facility when it comes to like a home gym or like questions on leveling flooring or how to install certain things, if you do have a brick and mortar, feel free to reach out to us. We've dealt with it at our gym. I've dealt with it at other gyms before. Uh, <laughs> I guess we are open to professional consults in this sort of industry. Are, are we deciding that our company name is kind of called R&D? That's that's another discussion. <laughs> that might just be like for like nonsense. Um, but other than all the nonsense, one of the things that I do want to get into Rich with today is talking about how to be a better coach. Now, this is coming from Rich's background and experience out of being here for eight years and also being a graduate of a kin degree at a York University. I myself, from my experience, I've been I've been a personal trainer for about nine to 10 years. I've also been coaching martial arts and youth athletics for about seven years um, through different gyms. And I ended up just taking my skill set from there and bringing it to the gym, uh, trying to challenge myself and be able to grow as a coach. So some of the things that we're going to talk about when it comes to how to be a better coach on our topics is communication with your clients or members, coaching a class versus coaching individuals, and coaching adults versus coaching youth. So these are three of the main topics. Two of the optionals that we might actually go over today is also respect in the weight room and healthy levels of motivation or healthy sources of motivation. So honestly, communication with your clients, I think communication is key and communication has to be done well and in a professional manner. And you have to be able to understand and learn your client in order to communicate effectively, which is a feat on its own because everybody learns differently. So yeah, like you have a different background than I have because you started off teaching martial arts, right? Oh yeah. Uh, like Taekwondo? Yeah. And how old were these kids? So I was dealing with kids anywhere between the ages of like six and seven. And I would deal with like a lot of like teenagers who would always give me a hard time. Um, but they're find, amazing. Did, <laughs> did you find like a big difference between those kids that are like six to seven to uh, like, and then 
and teenagers. Is there a big difference between those groups? Yeah, you know what? Especially, well, I'm just going to stay with like on motivate, not no motivation for communication for now. Mo- communication between children and communication between teenagers is very different, especially with adults. Like with kids, you they just want to have fun, but you have to be able to make them move or help them move in ways that are like constructive to the sport that they're in. Right. So in Taekwondo and fighting or martial arts in general, you got to get them to like like get into it as if it's a source of play and enjoyment. Um, and then it's like having them play with the tools or like the motions that would be associated with striking components in Taekwondo. When it comes to teenagers, it's a lot of other than them all being to some extent crazy um, <laughs> or unstable is a lot of just like movement repetition and refinement and like reinforcement of like certain qualities of movement and letting them express it and letting them experiment with it on their own. So yeah, like being a, a young athlete or like a youth athlete, I find the biggest thing is try and find that buy-in as soon as possible, right? You kind of touch upon like a little bit of that between the two age groups, like with kids, they just want to have fun. So like anything that's fun, they'll be gra- They'll just gravitate towards too. Whereas teenagers, you kind of have to like, uh, figure out their quirks and then kind of get to their level. Uh, so what kind of strategies have you kind of discovered or uh, figure out between those two groups? Uh, well, the main thing that I, I do as like a, a coach when it comes to communication or like these strategies, doesn't matter of the age group. The first thing I always go through is making sure that there is a vocabulary set or like a set of cues that is understandable between the like the client and like me. Yeah. Oh, I have freaky noises coming from the ceiling right now. <laughs> um, look, look noises. So like if I tell someone to extend their leg or extend their knee, like three or four people may think of that in like a different way. So I have to make them understand that there is a vocabulary set that they'll all pick up in the same manner. So the tricky part is a creating a line of communication that will get me the results I want from them. So once I have that line of communication with them, that's the first thing I need to get out of the way because that makes my coaching a lot easier. I've come across a lot of coaches who, and this is done at tournaments or like when people can't coach for their athletes. And this is like a very like unique example where some coaches will take on other kids just as like to cover, help cover the coach and like the workload that they have. And the coaching style just does not match with the kid because they'll say one thing and the kid doesn't perceive what they're saying as what they need to be done. Yeah. Compared to the coach who has learned the person that they're working with. And if they say kick at a certain time, they will kick at a certain time instead of doing something haphazard. So having an effective line of communication as like a skill set that people will understand. Yeah. Like it, it kind of, it sounds as simple as that, but a lot of people often kind of overthink that or, or overlook that, sorry. Um, and in martial arts, I feel like there's probably some sort of standard to like the techniques, right? But there's different cues and different kind of uh, focus points that each coach will probably have. Um, is there anything specific that you find kids pick up way quicker than a, a teenagers? Kids are copycats. If they see something that they enjoy and then you let them try to mimic it, they will keep on doing it over and over and over again. And this is something that's lost on a lot of adults is that a lot of adults will overthink doing something sometimes. Yeah. And then they become uh, paralyzed by their over like overthinking or paralyzed by fear or like the what if of 
making a mistake or failing, which has such a negative connotation to it where kids don't look at failure. That failure is something that's, the fear of failure is something that's programmed into people. I believe that being afraid of something is a natural thing. Like if you're standing on the edge of a building and you look down, you're naturally afraid because you're like, oh, if I fall, I'm going to die. But if it's like, if you trip and fall while attempting something, unless someone tells you that's scary, like you might just get back up and be like, I don't know, what was that? I'll just do it again. Yeah. And these kids will keep on doing it over and over and over and over again until they start programming it in a way where you look at them and you go, oh, that was good. It, they don't and, question it, right? Yeah. They just kind of do it because yeah. you seem like you're an authoritative figure, right? Exactly. But with kids, especially kids, and I will tell us to so many people, it's that there's two different kinds of respect with youth. There is respect through fear and an authoritative stance. And then there's respect when you talk to them at their level and you've earned their respect. And I will always be against the people who have the authoritative figure because once that kid is no longer afraid of the authority with you, they will no longer respect you. But then if there's a kid or a youth who respects you because you're almost, you talk to them on their level and you understand them and you can reciprocate, that's something that will last for years. And that's two different kinds of respect. And when you have respect like that from kids and you can hold on to it, they will trust you and they will listen to what you say in that environment. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I find with with kids, uh, especially young ones, you just have to make it into a game almost. Right? Yeah. That's the easiest way to kind of lure them in into doing stuff that they didn't think they were going to want to do. Whereas uh, adults, you kind of have to explain to them every single detail as to like why they're doing it, and then they'll be convinced to do something. So I feel like with adults, you kind of have to like really talk to them. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, in a sense, almost trick them into actually doing it so that they actually realize <laughs> after the fact rather than rather than just them just being able to just do it on the spot without any question yeah and honestly tricking adults (laughs) it sounds terrible Um, but tricking them into getting what you want out of them in like a classroom setting or like other training has it's like an other skill of like being a coach because it's like you if you over explain something to somebody more often than not nine times out of ten they will become overwhelmed overthink and then they fall apart Unless somebody's like a very advanced athlete and they want that explanation, doesn't matter how much you know, you don't need to throw how much you know at them because it's easy to overwhelm the person. If you want to be a good coach, it's how easily or in how few steps can you get them to do what you want that is necessary. So there are times where I I feel like explaining something to somebody doesn't work. So I have them perform a movement that's a variation of it. I get them to understand the feeling without making that correlation. So when I put them back to the other movement, they're like, oh, this feels better. I'm like, yeah, imagine what you were doing two steps prior. And so in a sense, you trick them into a way of being able to perform what you want, but you gotta figure out how. Sometimes it's explaining it verbally. Sometimes it's cueing them in the middle of doing it. Sometimes it's giving them a visual example or just letting them try it out for their own and then telling them after. Different avenues of communication and getting what you want out of them. Yeah, for sure. Like I definitely see it a lot in a lot of new coaches that just kind of start in front of class and just go verbal diarrhea everywhere and just tell every single cue in the book of how to do a proper air squat. Like at the beginning, everybody's going to try to just ooze all the information he can on the spot just to kind of prove their point but it it comes down to less is more essentially yeah it's like so 
when it comes to yeah honestly i've been there we've all been there to some point we're in front of a class or like someone for the first time and it's more we're trying to validate what we know in front of them so it's just like here's everything please remember everything now go do it and then half the room starts to glaze over because they're like what what is he talking about external torque on the knee what my big way too deep into it and it's just like i just need to hear it Three things I need to know as to how to do <laughs> air squat. Just tell me the three things. Because I, I find for for me, any any if you say more than three things, I'm gonna forget. Yeah. Like so people have a hard time just memorizing three things. Yeah. Let, let alone like more than that. I'm so. happy. I'm happier if I remember something five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like David. What do you have for lunch? Damn it! Right. So like. I mean, that's different. That's memory recall from a long time ago, but it's kind of at the same kind of idea. Like you have to make those cues quick and accessible so that people can actually remember it, especially if you're doing something that's like high skill, like a ring muscle up or like a snatch. Oh yeah, for sure. Or it's even if it's just like something simple, like something you can say is comparably simpler to that would be like just again, back squat. The back squat or the front squat are the two lifts that we see the most in the gym or the squat pattern itself. Yeah. So it's like, how many times can you cue something to someone in order for them to get it right? Now, everyone learns at a different rate. Most cues, uh, you can just throw out the window because like it may actually cause like a bad habit. When it, if, like with one cue I hear um, the most when it comes to like cueing a squat is just when you say knees out. Yeah, first of all, when someone's in the middle of a lift, I'm not cueing them. I tell them maybe one thing, I let them initiate the lift when they're done. So I'm not distracting them. I'll be like, that was good or that was bad. Try this instead. The knees out cue will, a lot of people will, again, take, if you give them an inch, they'll take it a mile. They'll just take a mile. Uh, You say knees out, they'll drive those knees out as far as they possibly can. And half the time, like their ankle is like rolling out to the side. They lose pressure on their big toe and they start really becoming focused on knees out instead of just like squatting. Like if they have an issue with something, deal with it after or give them a cue before. Don't stand beside them and start barking orders at them in the middle of a set. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, it's something I have seen. (laughs) Just beside them screaming, up! (laughs) Tight back. (laughs) Something simple. You just got to give it like one thing and just trust people. Trust that they'll learn it. If they make a mistake, address it after. But you got to trust people. You can't, hold their hand on everything they're doing. So something I liked that you said before was, uh, especially for teenagers, is trying to get on their level. So what do you mean by that? Um, so getting on their level is, I because I've coached them for years and I've seen other coaches coach. And uh, honestly, like some people are just really, uh, they may seem aggressive to some people. Like it doesn't, when I say, when I say, authoritative respect or just like actual respect with someone i'm not talking about barking orders at someone and looking down on them and berating them which i have seen and doesn't last very long this is in when you were doing taekwondo yeah i've seen people who were like abusive coaches and i've seen people who are fantastic coaches and the coaching styles that i really appreciated were people where the student was not afraid to ask a question or like talk to their teacher or their coach Mm -hmm. i don't like saying master because they were referred as masters I am not a whole fan of that whole thing. Like, I didn't like kids calling me master. It was Coach Dave. Right. So, besides that, besides that point, when I talked to the students that I was coaching, I never talked down to them. 
and I would talk to them as a person. I, one of the things I made sure to do, especially when you're talking to like younger kids, is I bring myself physically down to their level. Like I'll kneel down and I talk to them eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Just to be like, I'm not towering over you. You don't have to look up to me. It's like, hey, I'm here with you. I understand how you're feeling. If there's something that's wrong, don't be afraid to ask me. But if you're in the class, I need your attention for this one hour. You got to do the best for me for this one hour. And if I ask you to do something, I want you. I expect that you will try to do this to the best of your ability. But if there's something wrong and you feel like you did something wrong, that's okay. But as long as you can tell me what happened. Right. So you're basically setting up the scenario so that the kids don't feel pressured or feel like they can't tell you anything. Yeah. They should never have to be afraid of their coach. A coach is a person who's there that you should be able to trust and look up to or look forward to seeing and being able to like, if they tell you to do something that you should be able to feel like, Oh, this person's telling me to, I should be able to do it because they probably trusted me. Yeah. So I find for a lot of like coach athlete uh, relationships, the biggest thing is being able to have that trust, that buy-in from the athlete to the coach. Because if that athlete has uh, like unwavering um, commitment to that coach, they'll listen to that coach no matter what they say and not question it whatsoever. Um, so getting that kind of level of relationship between the two takes a lot of time and effort. Uh, but that's definitely one of the ways that you can kind of do that. It's just setting up the relationship at the beginning and just tell them that they can actually tell you anything and ask questions when they have questions and just setting up that relationship at the beginning. Yeah. That's again, open lines of communication between you and your client or like you and like the people that you're training or like the team or the individuals, we can get into like the whole like individual and like group aspect like shortly after, but like keeping an open line of communication and not being a dick. And I, I literally mean like not being a dick. I've seen people who are just like, get on the ground and fuck, get up. Like, why are you like this? Like, they're barking like, what? Like, why? Why do you have to scream at someone? Some people need that motivation. I'm like, no, there's a wrong. Like, I've seen, again, I've seen people who are like overly like concerned mother kind of bearing as a coach. And I've also seen people who like slapped their athletes before. Yeah. Like, I won't say who the coach was, but like I had a friend who was at a tournament and the coach took her aside and I was there, but I didn't see it. And he slapped her because she was nervous. If I found this person, I would have pulled them apart yeah. piece by piece. You never, ever disrespect someone like that when they have their trust in you because that's called manipulation. Yeah. Okay. Sure. And again, personal abuse with that. You can argue with me until you're blue in the face. It doesn't work, especially long term. And if you're in, really in this for the person's health and what the person wants or the person you're working with, it's bad. You're asking the athlete to surrender everything to the coach, and then if you kind of just make that relation, throw that relationship off to the side, and just basically distrust, like make that athlete distrust you through abuse, like it's not yeah. mentally healthy at all. It's trust. It's trust. And the thing is, you have someone who's coming to you, and they're asking you to help them. They trust in your professionalism and your abilities and your experience that you will guide them to a position or a place that they want to be in. Like I work with a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of women who, uh, and again, the fitness industry is like bad for certain things where it's like you have a lot of women who avoided lifting heavy weights because A, they're afraid that the second they squat, they're going to look like Ronnie Coleman and start screaming, it's nothing but a peanut. There's like exploded muscles. They're, they're just going to grow like 18 inch thick quads across like well, that's a, uh, disclaimer here. 
you will not do that. It doesn't happen. It's really hard to get muscles that big. If you can, if you can do that, please tell me your secrets. <laughs> um, but I work with a lot of like, especially a lot of women who solely just have come to me bit by bit. And they're just like, I just want to get stronger. I just want to get stronger. And I'm like, that's totally cool. How like, and I just slowly like guide them through like strength movements. I eventually start to like get them used to moving a barbell or like heavier lifts. And then now I'm working with <laughs> a few who've actually out squatted me, which is like Sydney as an example is insane. 160 kilo back squat for reps. <laughs> and she's still going up in the program, but it's like, you have people where it's like empowering, like they trust you. And then as long as you like are supportive with them and you show them where they have to go and you have to be hard on them at times and tell them that there's certain things that they need to do. And they understand that it's a clear line of communication. Again, they will do what you ask for them. Right. And then it, hopefully it works. And in this case, with everyone that I've worked with, especially on like on this this powerlifting like journey or like program, it's been working and they're all getting strong. Like everyone I've worked with, and it's fantastic because I don't push them to the point where I think it's ridiculous. I do everything that's necessary. Like I tell them everything that they need that is necessary for the program, and if they follow it, it works. And look what happens, it works. It it comes down to being a relationship with your coach, like the athlete coach relationship. It, it, the only way that will actually work is actually communicating properly and uh being able to assess together what you need to get done um it's it's that relationship that you build and and i tell people like sometimes you'll find the right person sometimes you just have to kind of keep looking for someone Uh, same thing with any other personal care service like chiros physios rmts i often tell people like if you feel like the that chiro physio or rmt hasn't figured out what the issue is try someone else it's not a big deal it's a relationship right yeah they're they're having to try and figure out like how to solve issues injuries in your body with a coach it's going to be that relationship with your athletic endeavor you're trying to improve on that so whoever you choose that fits in that role will hopefully help you get to that goal not only mentally but physically Yes, like for sure. It's like I have definitely come across people that I've had difficulty working with just because um, like sometimes it's like how they were communicating to me what they wanted wasn't exactly clear. But the first thing that I come when I come across someone that I would say like just deemed difficult, not in a bad way, just like difficult. It's like I don't understand or I'm having trouble like painting a picture on this. My first response is how can I better understand them to suit their needs and what can I do about it instead of this person needs to reevaluate. A lot of coaches, when they come across people that they might not be good with, the first thing I've come across, again, people who are just like, I don't like how this person is. We're not going to be a good fit. Almost like you didn't even bother giving it a shot and this person's looking for someone. Again, it's like, how can you as a coach improve or try to figure out how to better help this person? And if it comes down to it and you really find stylistically and how like, the lines of communication work and it just doesn't jive with that person exactly i will tell them that hey i think that there's another person who would another coach who may actually be able to assist you better because i feel like like what i know or my skill set might not be able to like suit what you want in in terms of your goals right and i'm totally fine with outsourcing to another coach or just handing them uh, just helping them find another professional in the field especially in the city that I also have communication with because I want to know this person's doing well. If someone comes to me, I don't want to be like, ah, I'm not going to work with them and just be like, go find someone else. Like you, it, they're coming to you and you, as your responsibility, especially for someone in this field, 
is help them find someone and still be like, hey, I'll be here if you ever need anything. But yeah. I really hope that this person helps. I find that's one of the signs of a good coach is they're putting their egos aside of that that coach knowing everything. Like not every single coach knows everything. And having the humility to say, this is probably not going to work out or I don't know. That's the biggest thing for a lot of new coaches to say to admit that they don't know and eat their ego and just say like maybe try this other person I'll help you find someone right? exactly like the whole I don't know question like there's been times people have asked me either I don't know or they ask me questions which I am not professionally suited for like, suited to give them responses for like someone goes hey my shoulder hurts what do I do go see a therapist well can you tell me anything no. I'm not a shoulder specialist. I don't know what's happening in there. I can't just like turn on x-ray vision and look at like the soft tissues in your shoulders. Wait, see if you don't have x-ray vision? Uh, well, no, I don't. I'm sorry. I've lied <laughs> to you this whole time. Um, if, you're a tr- if, if you're a strength coach, your field is strength. And it's not rehab. If you're a massage therapist, your field is massage therapy, not strength. Like there's a few people in the rare outlier who like bridge both together, but that's a different story. Um, if you tell someone that you don't know, but I will look into it for you because I need to know this, more people will respect you being, oh, this person doesn't know, but they're willing to admit it and they're willing to like do like do their part and actually learn about it and help. If you're a coach and you tell someone or you bullshit your way through something trying to explain something and you can't actually explain it because you don't know, every single time you do that, you're building that little bridge of your ego. It's gonna start growing and that's also that many times that you are not going to hold yourself accountable to go learn about it. So keep it up for a year. You learned nothing for a year about except for how to like bullshit your way around something. Yeah. Like like get it like snip it in the butt right away. Just admit it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll definitely do you better in the long run and also uh, it's actually good to have your athlete or your client see that you don't know everything because it shows humility, right? But also it shows that you're actually either willing to seek out the answer yourself or you're able to defer to someone that actually knows more than you, which they'll probably, your client will probably appreciate more. Uh, oh, so yeah. it's, it's great to have uh, that kind of connection or that community of coaches that you are connected to that you can actually defer to or have uh, other practitioners that you can kind of refer to. Yeah, because it's like, again, it's it's neat because it's especially in, like in our city, Toronto, even though the Toronto is like a large city. Now, like how many people do we have in this city? Two. Okay, we have two people in the city, just Rich and I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why would you lie to me? Uh, we have a million something people in this city. There's no scarcity of people. So again, like trying to hold on to people just because it's like, oh, I'm going to lose this one person. Like, no, man. It's like we're all in this together in this large community in this city. And it's like, I'm working with someone right now who worked with an other coach that I know in the city, like Carlos. Yeah. And this guy's fantastic. And she was like, oh yeah, I worked with him before and I'm working with her now. I'm like, wow, like the small degrees of separation that you have. But it's like the communication or like being a bad coach travels like pretty quickly, but also being able to help other coaches in the city travels really quickly. Like if you refer one person to someone else, you're just building on this little community that we have and it's helpful to everybody. You're not going to lose out on anything. If anything, like regardless of keeping the client or passing the client off to someone you know in a professional manner, you're not only like 
not betraying the client. You're like giving them to another professional and they'll trust you because it's like, wow, this really good guy knows an even better guy. I've right. never find this without him. It's like also the other coaches be like, hey, this guy is really nice because he trusts me and he passed them off to me. And that person might also look up to you. And it goes both ways. Yeah. So we talked a lot about the having a lot of different coaches working together. Now, how do you approach uh, when you're the only coach and you got to work with multiple clients, say, in the classroom? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see less the segue? You pick up my segue that you put on? Yeah. I see what you did there, buddy. So coaching a class, how does that differ for you than coaching an uh, individual client? Okay. So I had a lot of difficulty going from coaching multiple people to coaching one at a time. So which one did you start first? Did you start individual or did you start class-based? I started class-based. Now, I started class-based in a martial arts setting. Yeah. and But then shortly after, I started on an individual base. So I started doing both of them roughly at the same time, but I had a little bit more experience in Taekwondo right. or martial arts. Now, when I'm working in a room, I've worked with classes up to 100 people, like 100 kids in one room. It's it's bananas <laughs> having a hundred kids. Camp? <laughs> yeah, it was a summer camp. Yeah, it was a summer camp. It was me and like one or two other coaches. There was times where I walked in. It was like me and this one guy, and he stares at me and he goes, "Yo, we're screwed." <laughs> and I'm like, "No, nah, I got this." It, I I have developed. What what's the what's the <laughs> best way to get 100 kids' attention in like the shortest period of time? I guarantee you, I probably have the loudest set of lungs out of someone you like have met. I can holler and demand attention in a room with kids it's and definitely an asset that you can have <laughs> especially if you're in group classes where you have to yell over music i uh, can you can i got pipes <laughs> i can yell um this large torso that i have isn't just bone it's just like a large lung it's i have a, a gigantic air cavity i just have a gigantic air cavity this this horn that goes off this sounds I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you a story after your story about how I got more lungs. <laughs> uh, so, essentially, so you would scream at the kids basically to get their attention. I would initially <laughs> yell at them. I've only ever screamed once because a kid ran up behind me and hit me in the back of the head with a weapon. <laughs> and I, I actually like belted out like a pretty bad yell. And I'm pretty sure that a few, the, blood? a few of the kids within arm's reach pissed themselves. And I felt bad. But... The main thing is I would yell for an instant to get their attention and then I would just tell them to line up because it's very militaristic, like traditional martial arts. And my transition from being in a martial arts, which is like yelling and telling people to do this and do that and having to sometimes take that authoritative stance just to be able to command like a large room yeah, is different because I can't do that to a single person who's an adult who's not in the martial arts world. Like if you have your professor in jujitsu, like you have Alex professor alex from gracie baja he walks into the room everybody stops everybody bows to him everybody makes their rounds and they listen to him he says step right you step right he says jump you jump through the roof so a person who's not part of that militaristic background they come up to you and they're like hey i want to like do this get on the treadmill it's like no they're not gonna (laughs) gonna last very long that was the hardest transition for me to be honest it was taking that authoritative like teaching style and not applying it 100% to someone. There, there's a thing to be said that, like, that kind of level of respect, like if you're the master of that dojo, like, you have kind of earned that respect. And in that kind of setting, uh, 
it's taught that you would respect the master and listen to the master in that sense, right? But yeah. um, you, you weren't the master, right, of no. that dojo or that martial arts club. So how, how do you kind of elicit that same of authority without being the master? Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, like, so the master of the club that I was in, He's a fantastic guy. He's probably like the best guy I've ever come across, especially when it comes to working with like youth athletes. Mm. Um, but he's strict. He's super stern. He gets his point across. But he's also the kind of guy who will laugh and smile and play with the kids. Right. He goofs off with them, but he's fantastic yeah. at switching that goofy, flicking the switch that goes from being goofy and nice to being authoritative. Right. And he doesn't berate them. He doesn't demean them. He's fantastic what he does so when he brings me in initially to the club and introduces me as who who i am so and so everybody off the bat is usually terrified they're ter- it's either they're going to be terrified or they're going to challenge you okay so what how many what's a percent do you think will be the kids that are terrified to people that will challenge 90 percent that's terrified most people are afraid of things they don't know or so you people. have the ten percent that are just like, oh, I'm going to test the, this this new guy. Oh yeah, straight up, they're just they're just little, <laughs> the biggest shits ever. <laughs> they have their little shit crown on their head, and they're showing it off to everybody. Okay, so <laughs> obviously the kids are sh- sh- terrified. Uh, they're, they're you don't have an issue with commanding them. How do you deal with the shit face people? Ah, uh, the shithead kids. The shithead kids. Ah, uh, well, how do you deal with them? Um, the way I've dealt with kids like that, who were like, I've dealt with some kids who are like really aggressive. Yeah. Um, first one is I get down again, get down to their level and I talk to them. Right. And I'm very real with them and very short. And down, do, do and, a very roundhouse kick to your face. And then what, what's, Oh, that? I've actually had kids attack me. <laughs> I've honestly, the best part of my job, <laughs> I don't want to say this is terrible. One of the best parts of my job was being able to yard sale kids across a room when you needed like, to, but like, in a playful manner. Like, haul the kid across the room, chuck the kid across the room? Like, I'm Zlatan, and I take a field goal with them. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a, the field goal is like football Zlatan is from soccer. Um, no, it's it's more the fact football. that football. if you have the entire room running as one unit and running well, the kids who are usually the disturbers are the ones who will, uh, like, follow suit to an extent until their attention starts to, like, waver. And you just got to be on them. So it tests you because you got to be sharp and you got to realize in a room of 100 kids when one or two kids are being shitheads and yeah. then you have to like get it quick yeah. because once they start going, they build up steam, it's going to be really hard to reel them back in. So you like nip it in the butt right away. Right away. Yeah. Right away. But I wouldn't be like mean to them. I would just sternly talk to them and like make them stand in front of me so they're talking to me eye to eye. Right. And then I tell them like, I'm not mad at you, but I need you to do this because like you're a good kid and you're a good kid and you do this. And then if you usually compliment them and tell them that you like believe in them and they're good at what they do, they like take it. They're like, oh, this person's not trying to tell me what to do and he's not insulting me or making me feel bad. So yeah, instead of like seeking attention, you're actually giving them proper attention. Jingle, jingle, baby, move those keys. <laughs> Brian's in our room disturbing us right now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so... So you're giving them that attention at the beginning. So you're not necessarily praising them, but you're actually acknowledging them before they get into that rebellious state of yeah. attention seeking. Yeah, because I've gone into gyms and they're like, yeah, this kid's a troublemaker. And I see the kids who are the troublemakers. And the first thing I do is I'd go up to them and I like, talk to them. 
Right. Instead of just like dealing with them as a troublemaker because this person's already painting the picture that this kid's a problem. I don't want this kid to be a problem. I want this kid to be someone that I know and can talk to me on a first person basis to an extent. They still have to respect me as like the authority, again, again, the authoritative figure in the room, but they also shouldn't be afraid to come and talk to me. Right. Yeah. So that's, that. yeah, that's a great strategy. Just like nip in the butt right away and just address it right on the spot. Uh, and probably through practice, you probably recognize enough of those shit, shithead people, right? The shit face people. Shit face people. I, I know when I see someone who shit faced in the <laughs> room. <laughs> Why are you wasted? Get, get away from that bar. <laughs> hey, you're too young to be shit faced right now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so tra- okay, so transitioning from group classes to individual, why did you find that was difficult? Again, it's difficult because adults, even though kids can, some kids can be tricky to deal with, adults are like complex and they're developed and they have the things they like, the things they don't like, the things they're afraid of, and the things that they just don't the other things that they obviously feel that's like oh i know what this is and it makes me uncomfortable right like i've come across people who don't like sweating they're afraid to sweat i've come across what's what's their excuse it makes them feel uncomfortable it's like how justin says that he's come across people who don't want the poo thumb or the brown thumb for doing hook grip (laughs) he goes if you if you hook grip that much chances are you're an international weightlifter you're not going to care anymore at that point it's going to be the least of your concerns (laughs) like you come across weird things that you try to like groove out of adults yeah. And a lot of adults, like you try to explain something to them and some of them come in and the, wor- the, the worst ones that I've come across are the people who are like, I'm paying for you. You're doing, you're working for me. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no. They feel entitled to that hour, right? Yeah, no. It's like, you've come to me for my time to help you. It's like, I understand, but I'm not your employee. It, it comes down to yeah. that respect <laughs> thing again. Again, right? there's some people like throw money in front of them and it's like, Respect me because I'm giving you money. You're I'm sitting like, on that high horse and expecting this, the best yeah. service possible. Yeah. So I've had a lot of like adults come with like attitude or just like they have like this preconceived idea of like what training should be. So they're always asking for battle ropes. Um, so what, <laughs> how, how, how do you nip that in the butt then? So in kids, you kind of get to a level and you just try to uh, address that. Shitness. How do, how do you address it in adults? So when it comes to like, I guess, um, and this is just one on one basis, not a class basis, right? Yeah. So yeah, transitioning to a one on one. Uh, talking to them about what they want. Figure first thing. First things first. When you're talking to someone to work with, let them do all the talking. Ask them maybe one or two questions. Repeat one of them to them, or repeat a point they may have brought up to you that may have been a point of interest. Let them do the majority of the talking. Have them paint the picture for you. Talk to them about what they talk to you about so they know that you're paying attention to them. And then explain that you can get to this part or it might be difficult. Oh, God, my water almost came back up. You can get to a certain part or maybe trickier. Give them realistic time frames. But reassure them that you can get there, but there's certain steps that they must have. And if this person is intent on doing certain kinds of workouts, like I start everybody roughly the same like same movements like again like you can break it apart to so many different things like if, yeah yeah set some kind of baseline like if they can't stand on one leg i'm not going to have them lift with two as an example if they have like if they can't put their arms over their head and they're stiff i'm not going to have them do bar muscle ups or handstands 
I almost never do handstands with any. Realistically, like even though I teach the class, I almost never do handstands with anyone. It's because it's like you don't need to. There's, but for you, adult gymnastics, there's a lot of precursors to that. Yeah, right? there's a lot. It's like wrist health, hand health, elbow health, shoulder. Like there's a lot. There's a lot more. But the main thing is showing them where they are, telling them what the how what it may take to get to where they need to be or where they want to be, and just like giving and like starting them off consistently don't do a super special program for someone especially if it's gen pop who is just trying to like improve their overall health you don't need them to hop on a sled and throw a sled around and smash medicine balls and sling battle ropes like any any i fuck any fucking person can make someone sweat and die off of any movement it's not that hard just because you've killed someone doesn't mean you did something fantastic i can kill someone in a thousand different ways not technically, like, I'm not talking about death, death, kill, death. I'm talking about, like, <laughs> I, sliced them up. I've, I've had people who, one guy, I'll never forget this. One guy challenged me once saying, he goes, you can't give me a leg workout that I'll never be able to finish. And I'm like, I can give you something on paper that doesn't look bad, and you're not going to be able to finish it. Right. 12 minutes in, he puked his brains out. And I'm like, I, I felt terrible. Well, I didn't feel terrible because like, the guy <laughs> challenged me. And I'm, like, I'm going to be like, all right, I'm going to show you that you're wrong. And it's like, second of all, it's just like, it's not... It's like it's not hard to make someone feel like shit or destroy someone in training. It's about how closely can you bring them to like their maximum recoverable volume effectively and have them like repeat non like repeat and repeat and repeat and be able to recover from it and progress. If you just kill someone all the time, all they're going to do is just get beat up and they're not going to progress. That's like I, it's the one of the worst mindsets that like I've seen people get into is just like if a workout kills them and they're looking at their Apple Watch and they're counting their calories and they just want to get killed in a workout, I'm like sorry, you got your priorities backwards. <laughs> like, or you got your priorities wrong. Oh, well, different different goals, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to backtrack and go uh, where I stand from and I started off with group classes and I I rather enjoyed doing group classes than personal training at the beginning too because that's kind of how I started like I attribute a lot of my skills from learning from other coaches that were previously from here so Freya, Aaron, Mikey, um, Danny as well and kind of learned a little bit from everybody. So the first thing I did was a lot of group class, training classes. So that's what I got comfortable with. And I like the fast pace aspect of a group class because you're yeah. able to kind of bounce between so many people and address a lot of quick things. Uh, and that's why I enjoy a lot more with the group classes. That it moves a lot faster uh, compared to personal training at the beginning I was having such a hard time with just working with one person because I got you so used to just queuing and then doing a lap working with other people and then coming back to that same person and double checking if they've done that queue with one person I'll just queue and then it's still the same person I'm looking at so it's either they've done they've corrected or they still need to work on that queue so that took me a while to be able to be comfortable with working with just one person but after a while, you kind of get comfortable and get used to it, and you figure that uh, working with that one person, you can kind of dive deeper into a lot of things. You can spend a lot more time into figuring out what the issues are, uh, seeing if that cue actually corrects any of the mo movements that you're trying to look at. Uh, you can even go more 
surface level with the cues and see if that cue trickles down to the actual root of the problem. So say, for example, if you're trying to look at a squat and you notice that one of your heels lift up, right? So uh, during the rest between sets, I'll tell them to like work on ankle dorsiflexion or work on hip external rotation or internal rotation and see if that fixes it up the chain or down the chain. So working on one-on-one gives you that time and opportunity to be able to dive deeper into the root of the problem rather than in a class setting, you kind of have to like make quick corrections and then go around and see if that works. Um, so it's a time put into it. So with both, you definitely get used to both training modalities or training group training classes versus intra, uh, uh, individual. But I do definitely miss the group classes. Doing group classes okay. is uh, definitely more fun, I think. So uh, a little thing I want to backtrack right here. I want something that Rich said. This also speaks from his experience. And this is, goes out to a lot of people who are just getting into coaching or who are dealing with classes or, you know, got displaced from it and didn't get to, like, spend more time in it due to, like, the lockdowns. Um, but it, his experience really speaks from when he said he does a cue, he walks around the room, does his rounds with everybody, comes back, and he re something if he needs to. He says that if something's not working, like the heel's coming up, he gave examples like having them work on ankle dorsiflexion or external rotation. Now, he's not saying that every single person needs to be working on more dorsiflexion. A lot of people will like, just say you need more dorsiflexion to be able to be able to squat more. Every single person's super unique and super different. And with someone like him, he's just giving out a general statement saying that you could probably work on one mechanical thing instead of giving them a technical cue. Because one thing that coaches uh it takes some time to be able to realize this but a technical cue will not correct a mechanical fault so rich just listed that he will give the person a cue come back do his rounds give them a cue again and if he sees that something's not working he will give them a mechanical cue so he's not trying to cue them in the middle of the lift instead he gives them something physical to work on to see if it makes a difference because again a technical cue will not correct a mechanical fault because I've seen people where it's just, again, back to the example of push your knees out, push your knees out, push your knees out, up, push into the bar, push your knees out. If you have to repeat yourself multiple times to one person to do something, that means it's not working. Okay? Stop beating the dead horse. Give one cue. Okay, it doesn't work. Maybe do it one more time. Okay, it's not working. Move on to the next thing. All right? So good example of like working in a class setting, uh, expertise when it comes to it or just experience when it comes to like giving different cues or giving different like solutions to a problem that he's trying to solve especially in a room with like 20 people it, it yeah like i i like working with that many people in a room because it, it's at that point where i'm like it's a challenge for me i it, yeah. it gets to the point where you kind of build up over time the amount of tolerance you can handle with the amount of people that you have in a room that you have to address with the technicality that you have to apply onto it um like I, I worked at uh, a restaurant for a while when I was in university. I worked through there for almost all four years of my career, uh, my university career, and I worked on the line. So we were just pumping up food as fast as we can in a restaurant. And at the beginning, it was very overwhelming because the orders would just fly in, and you just have to address so many things at the same time. So I started off uh, doing salads and just making salads, and that's basically the only thing I did. And even that was really daunting at the beginning. Cause How many what, years were you tossing salad? Oh, I, tossed, <laughs> I, I definitely tossed a few salads in my day. <laughs> uh, 
you get you get good at it after a while right professional salad tosser amazing uh, <laughs> yeah but there's a lot of components you gotta like throw basically all the components to the salad and you gotta make sure that it looks presentable and you have to basically finish that within like a minute to two minutes and you just move on to the next chip working under pressure yeah exactly so i actually a lot if anything that actually helped a lot working in the kitchen actually helped me prepare myself to be a better coach because i'm able to kind of multitask uh work under pressure remember basically the orders that are coming through so i got remember i gotta make like three different salads and then two other bread dishes and stuff like that and be able to pump them all out timing with other people on the line so the hot side so like the pasta side as well as a deep fryer guy yeah so that actually taught me how to like coordinate and ta- be more task oriented and then work under pressure along with uh, time constraint so that actually leads a lot into being a coach and especially in a classroom setting when you got handle like 20 different people working all at the same time and then managing the time within that hour to be able to like, squeeze into programming within that hour oh yeah and like i one of the reasons why i chose like again the academy is to, like teaching classes for years when i was uh training people one of the things I would talk about is I will never teach a class. I will never teach group fitness. I was against it so much. But your your view of a group fitness class is probably different than what we yeah, have. Yeah, Zumba, baby. <laughs> step class. I'm not going to teach a step class with a five-pound dumbbell. Um, I want to see David teach a yoga class one nope, day. I do. I teach boot by bootleg yoga classes Tuesdays and Thursdays. What are you talking about? <laughs> Under the table. Hold the side splits for 20 minutes. I'll be back. <laughs> um, so... One of the reasons why I, I chose and I pushed myself honestly into a very uncomfortable place of like being in group fitness for, with adults is when I was teaching martial arts, I taught in like a very different environment with like a large, large class sizes, like up to 100 people. Uh, yeah. Like eventually it came back down to like more reasonable numbers. But I was like, how can I find a place or where can I go that I will be able to learn and see like the most movement possible when it comes to like these modalities, like powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, gymnastics, it's like a CrossFit gym. In all honesty, like a lot of people ripped on CrossFit back in the day for the haphazard shit that you would see online when it was still growing. And things, bad things happen, and then people learn from their mistakes. The people who don't learn from their mistakes, don't don't do continental cleans yes don't do continental cleans um if you don't know what that is it's a strongman move where you don't teach normal general population do is you take an axle bar you deadlift it onto your belly onto your power belly baby (laughs) and then try to get underneath it like a clean so you bring it from your belly onto your shoulders in a front rack position and it's the, the the least GPP thing that you need to be doing so general physical preparedness besides the content besides the continental clean it's like my one of the things I brought up was like the squat how can I find a place where I can learn the most about the squat in the shortest period of time in a CrossFit class in a group-based class where you have like up to 16 or 20 people in a room yeah every single day hours on end I saw hundreds of squats a day hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of squats I'd see people squat light bars. I'd see people squat heavyweights, squat kettlebells, squat front squat, like everything. Like hip flexion and knee flexion, like the entire sequence of just going up and down in the elevator chute. I had on repeat for nearly four years. I have gotten more information yeah. in the first year of like watching people move than I would get with one-on-one clients across a year. Just Guaranteed. because of the volume of people that you see moving 
and you will see all kinds of things, all the good and all the bad. <laughs> yeah, from like a coach's perspective, especially if you're listening and you're a new coach, this is definitely one of the best things that you can do is just exposure, being able to see so many different bodies move and then being able to find your own uh, kind of commonalities in how you cue people. Uh, so obviously one cue is never going to work for everybody. So you have to be able exactly. to cue different ways. And in a group setting class, uh, you get to not experiment, not only experiment, but also figure out those commonalities between everybody. So everybody's going to have their own set of cues that will work best for them, but um, it's never really going to work for everybody. And you being able to expose yourself in that setting where the cue that you use, knees out, chest up, might not work for everybody. You better be smart enough to realize that quickly and address that soon so that you can actually get the quality movement that you want out of every single athlete. Yeah, because you're dealing with people's well-being. You're, you want every, it's hard because you want everyone in the room to do well and you hope that everyone trusts you and respects you and will listen to what you have to tell them regardless if you're a junior coach or if you're a senior coach. But you have to be able to like make adjustments and quick snap decisions on the fly, which is I honestly one of the best place, best things that I love about this gym is that you are under pressure when it comes to working with it, and it, it's a good thing. Um, I also guess that because we got to wrap this up shortly. As both. well, let's let's do this real quick. Let's try to see oh, if we yeah. knock out the last two points that you mentioned, or the optional points that you mentioned, uh, respecting the weight room and healthy motivation. Okay. What, what what do you constitute as what's your number one thing that you find that you have to have for respect in the weight room don't compare what you lift to other people in the room don't make constant comparisons don't judge someone on how they lift someone's there's people who are brand new and who are looking but, but david that that guy lifts way more than i can i don't care <laughs> i don't care i, like, I want to lift just as much as he he does everybody so she lifts There's, way more than I can. Why can't I load the bar that heavy? Just be, So always think that just because you can lift a lot doesn't make you the head honcho in the room. There's always going to be someone who can lift more. Now, a person who is strong should always support the people who are starting because people might join that gym to be like that person or be on the road to like strength. Be supportive. Never make comparisons and be like, well, I lift this and I lift this. It is a horrible quality to have. It's a horrible quality when you start laughing at someone else's lifting if you can barely squat to parallel. As an example, just don't be a dick. Second thing, if someone's lifting heavy weights or weights, don't walk in front of them. <laughs> Bars, so, people make mistakes. Bars go flying. <laughs> so that, I I feel kind of both ways for that. I'm impartial to that rule. I do respect that rule, and I still try to enforce that as much as I can, especially in Olympic lifting setting. Yes. Um, yeah. So this me back to my high school days when I was in. Yes, I am a complete nerd. I was in band. <laughs> we had brand nerd. Practice. <laughs> uh, we had we had band practice every Thursday mornings, like early morning to four first period, uh, like the hour before first period. And w- one of the things that I learned from that conductor from our uh, teacher was no matter what kind of distraction happens, you keep playing. 
There's, the world doesn't stop revolving because someone walks into a room and disrupts it. Exactly. The conductor is still conducting. Everyone is still playing. You should not be distracted. Yeah, I'm more talking about like... So this brings me back to my point is that in a real life scenario, nobody's going to stop in front of you while you're trying to focus, right? Like there's a time and a place that you do need that kind of focus. So for example, weightlifting, right? But if someone accidentally steps in front of you, don't freak out. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Don't have a fit, right? Don't don't yeah. let that ruin your whole entire day, right? You address it, dismiss it, and you move on. So I I definitely agree to that rule of if you need that focus, right, don't walk in front of someone that needs that focus. Uh, but if someone does walk in front of you, don't feel like your whole entire session is ruined. Yeah, no, there's you have other things to worry about if you feel like one person being in front of you across the room is going to ruin everything. I'm just more along the lines of I've, I've come across people who are like have like several hundred pounds on their back and this person wants to get from point A to point B and they walk behind them. Oh, like that, that's just that's just on dumb a, <laughs> on the platform or they walk right in front of them to grab something. And like I've seen some Jay was Jay was snatching like, I don't know, it was like 110 or something like that. Or he was like cleaning some heavy weight and a guy walked into the back room and like just out to lunch stood in front of Jay, like maybe two and a half, three feet away. And he was there for like a couple minutes. And then as Jay was trying to lift, he turned to Jay and he just looked at him as he's lifting right like eye to eye, like the most <laughs> awkward thing. And Jay, I told, I told the guy, Hey, sorry, you have to move. It's not that safe. Jay looks at me. He goes, Oh my God, <laughs> how awkward was that? <laughs> I'm trying to focus with 200, 242 pounds over my head, and this guy's just staring into my soul. <laughs> um, I guess the last one. Yeah. What do you constitute as healthy motivation? What do I constitute as healthy levels of motivation or healthy motivation? So there's competition, which is on for a totally separate podcast when I get into like competitive athletes or like wanting to do competition and understanding what competition is in like this kind of setting um other than being competitive which is like a, a different kind of motivation motivations for performing things should it's it's hard like like healthy levels of motivation would be um being happy that you can go to the gym and your friends are there and you can live together in a class it's like the social, the social aspect to it an unhealthy level of motivation is just because one of your friends might not show up, you skip the entire session or you just don't show up. So you're basing your entire motivation off of the social presence. Like there has to be like a 50-50 in between where it's like, or there has to be some sort of give where you're not completely relying or depending on external factors in order for you to achieve your goals when it comes to training. Like I've come across people who already tell themselves that they're gonna have a bad lifting session because they didn't take their pre-workout. Or yeah. there's like there's like there's little mental things, but like an, a bad source of motivation would be like I don't know like revenge lifting. Like I need to lift more than this person, so I'm gonna do it. Or it's like oh crap, Sydney's getting close to my one max. I got I'll, I'll beat her. 
Her, her, she, she's already lifting more than me. I'm just going to program enough volume that she can't walk for a few weeks and her progress goes down. You catch up to her. You like, no, it's going to go in the opposite direction. She's going to get stronger. She's an animal. Um, <laughs> I already have like her and Guillermo already lifting more than me. And I'm like super upset. I'm super happy for them because it's like it's working and they're doing great. It's a, it it's a sign of a good coach. Like your your stuff is like at working for sure. It's working. Like I had this guy who is his back squats twenty kilos over mine. I've only been training him for, for like two and a half years, and he looked at me the day he squatted more than me. And I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this, you. He had this but smile on his you're face. You're so well. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's uh, leave it for that, and we'll just use that as a teaser for next time. And that's it.